mixed martial arts and boxing fans. It's time for Fighter's Fury, inside the heart of a champion. With your hosts, Brendan Tobin, Seema, and Tommy Guns. It's time for Fighter's Fury on AM790, The Ticket. Sunday morning, everybody. Welcome on in. Fighters Fury here on the ticket. Good to have everybody with us. Been a fun weekend, a full fight weekend. Went this Friday over to the Seminole Hard Rock for a little action there with my boy Leroy. We had some fun. Beast was supposed to join us, but uh, to no one's surprise, as soon as he got to the building, he had a sick stomach. So he left. He left and didn't watch boxing with us. Rat bastard. I mean, he said he was going to watch fights with us, and all of a sudden just bails. But... It was uh, it was a fun night, fast-paced card. Things were moving, they were humming. I always love when the cards are on television, man, because there is no delay that can happen. Nobody waits for TV. TV has to go, 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 go. And they had a full card, so things were humming along. Um, a lot of the familiar faces that fight at the Hard Rock were on this card. A lot of them having a lot of success, so it was good to see. Uh, you had uh, you had some great showings from Ivan Ditchko, who got himself a second-round KO over Nate Heaven. Good show for Ditchko. The last time he fought, it was kind of a weird ending where one guy, you know, had like a, an injury thing where the, his arm got busted up. So got himself a little bit more of a, a clean win. Not that he wasn't on the way to win in his last one either, but uh, he is a big-time heavyweight. A lot of people thought that he had success against Anthony Joshua and the amateurs. So he's uh, he's trying to move himself up. So he gets himself to 9-0, nine, nine KOs, 6-9. Dude is, dude is big. Uh, has himself a great trainer and Derek Santos. So it was good to see himself get him uh get himself a nice win uh gutsy went for jesse cruz who got himself a win in this one and it was uh you know it was one of those ones where you get so much success early on he had like three knockdowns in the first three rounds but he just took on dude super tough super tough wouldn't go away so you know had to find that next gear because you feel like you're gonna put somebody away and melt them away early on and you don't and so now all of a sudden uh <laughs> You know, you could be you could be a little bit tired. You could be a little bit like, ugh, like if almost frustrated that you feel like you've had this perfect game plan, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, the body's just still there. It's just one of those weathered, uh, very very tough, durable opponents. And he was able to get himself a win. Ulysses Diaz had himself a big time win over Mike Swerve. Really nice bounce back for him. Uh, the last time he was at the Hard Rock, he suffered his first career loss. So obviously big for him. He's had a really active year where I think this is four or five fights for him in 2019 as he's trying to uh, to build that record up. But it was much needed. I mean, the last time that he was at the Hard Rock, didn't get the result that he wanted. So that shows uh, shows some real guts to bounce back and get that. Make quick work of Mike Sawyer. Whole building was rocked for it. I mean, would say it was probably Diaz and Blake Davis who had you know the most local support amongst both of them, both of them getting wins. So a lot of the crowd going happy. And then Derek Cuevas got himself a a unanimous decision win in the main event of that card so it was a fun night man fun night of fights hard rock heavyweight factory shout out to them they always put on a really really nice show and it's good to see the local showcase they've been putting on cards man it seems like every other month there's been a boxing match getting put out there but it's uh it's always great to see that these guys locally have a place to go and showcase their talents going to support that stuff regionally is uh very very important and uh, good luck, uh, good showing for those guys. Last night you had some UFC action. You had 
the UFC Fight Night card from Sacramento, where the big story for me, it was uh, another another UFC card where the main event to me is not the big, uh, the biggest attraction. It was Uriah Faber. Uriah Faber's obviously making his return 40 years old. He's a UFC Hall of Famer. I mean, they put him in the UFC in the Hall of Fame basically as soon as he retired a few years ago. And it was the first time Bruce Buffer had to introduce somebody as a as a Hall of Famer. Although I felt he did it weird. He was like, he is the Hall of Fame warrior. I'm like, well, what is that? What, the, what, is that? what the hell is that? That's not his nickname. But that's what he went with, Bruce Buffer. He's trying it out. I mean, it's probably not something he's going to have to often do. But uh, it's, it's, it's a workshop title. He's uh he's he's working out, but I guess the big, the big story from it was Uriah Faber gets himself a 46 second knockout, which is cool in a couple things. One, he's 40 years old, and he hasn't fought in a few years. And two, it's not exactly how Uriah Faber goes and wins fights. I mean, the last time Uriah Faber won a fight like that, I think they said was 2007, was the last time that he he had a TKO victory over somebody. And he beats Ricky Simone, who was a good, you know, good, promising young fighter, top fifteen, uh, top top fifteen contender. And you know, I would think for the UFC's part, they're thinking of a guy, Ricky Simone, who's twenty six years old. Under he's uh he's got a, a record of fifteen and one going into this. That you know, they're gonna try and build him up. You got to win over Uriah Faber. That's a good one to have on your resume. All right, Uriah, you got to do what you wanted to do. You had the hometown swan song, and that's it. I, I got to imagine that's where most people thought this was going. Not that Uriah Faber was going to do something that he hadn't done in over a decade. It's crazy. Building went nuts. Uh, the the fact that he got to do that in front of Sacramento was was absolutely crazy. And here we are, Uriah Faber, back into the uh, into the fold at the the bantamweight title picture i guess i mean he had a really good call out at the end of things where he is calling out henry cejudo who knew that he was coming back the last time cejudo fought he put uriah faber in that little category of guys that he'd like to take on and health is gonna have a lot to do with this about where he goes you know after joseph benavides got his win Dana wasn't very gung-ho on giving him the title shot, even though he's very, very deserving of it. Um, Aljamain Sterling, you know, Peter Yan, probably the two likely contenders that are actually high up there ranked. So what is the UFC going to do here in this situation? You're, you have a guy and a champion in Henry Cejudo who has the opportunity to really solidify himself as like the lighter weight king he's a two division champion now he thwarted tj dillashaw he beat mala marias he has two belts he's your olympic champion a lot of people love to hate him when it comes to watching him uh beat mighty mouse johnson you're talking about a a guy who could really become like the legend slayer of the of the lighter weight class if you if you if you will and you know, that's that's about as good as you could get for getting people to care about those lighter weight classes. It's tough. It's hard sledding sometimes to get the people to have a real buzz about it. But, I mean, is Uriah Faber supposed to waltz right in here and, and get himself another title shot? It's not like a guy who hasn't had his fair share. I mean, if we're to look at it, since he's been in the UFC and he was the former WEC champion, but he's never held UFC gold. Uriah Faber's been in one, two, three three, four, 
five championship fights. So it's not a guy who has exactly been slighted on having opportunities to fight for the belt. Then you look at a guy like Aljamain Sterling, who, you know, you have a, a possibility of having a young star. He is he he's charismatic. Um, I just think that he's he's been very impressive in bouncing back in his career. So what if you're the UFC? It's got to be one of the. I understand it's not a perfect world and it's tough. I just can't justify giving Uriah Faber the jump on everybody. And I feel like everyone's going to look at this and say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we we got to do this." Look, he's been out for 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 a few years. He just he just had a crazy, big looping knockout, something that he hadn't done in over a decade. It's an awesome story. I almost wish, like in a perfect world, Uriah Faber would hang it up after that. It's about as perfect a story ending as you could get. 40 years old, UFC Hall of Famer, was able to come back out of retirement three years, have that win in his hometown. Nobody gets to go out on those terms. You know what I mean? And a guy who has has constantly fallen short when it's come to these title fights, you always feel like the storyline is going to get a little bit better. And I don't fault him for it. He's a fighter. He's an athlete. He's a competitor. Of course you think you're going to be able to push it to the next level and just make it even even more storybook and even more perfect. But how rare is that? How rare is it that the people get to have their, their storybook ending, especially in the twilight of their career? I mean, guys of that age who are able to go and win championships, what is it? It's, you know, Bisbing, GSP, who's not even that old. Um, Randy Couture, like, what are the stories of guys getting to to this part of their careers, and they get to have the story? But getting it, it doesn't typically happen. I mean, Uriah Faber is blessed enough that he's still actually in the UFC doing this thing, and I get it. With those weight classes, you have to make people care. I don't know how it does on pay per view, but if you were to say, "Oh, let's put." Henry Cejudo and Uriah Faber and make it an ESPN Plus pay-per-view, if you will. See if you get a bunch of subscribers that way. The uh, the guy is going up against the, the 135 legend, the guy who is the California kid. He's, he's done it all. He's seen it all. He's been there through everything. And he's going to get one last shot, one last crack at the championship. Yeah, it, it's an easy sell. I'm not going to lie. It's a, it's a much easier sell than Aljamain Sterling, who is just basically ex-contender right now a, a, a great contender a, a talented fighter who is who's got seemingly the entire package to go with it I think the thing that would be interesting though is you know it, it's it's short-sighted in this regard like you may go in the in the standpoint of having Faber fight Henry Cejudo and be like that, that's it we gotta just have the young fighters and go get the money where we can but, okay, so then what? Does does Aljamain fight Peter Yan and those guys now knock off each other and instead of having two contenders to fight for Henry Cejudo's belt, you only have one? On top of the fact that, let's not also forget, this guy also has another belt to defend unless he's going to drop the flyweight title. I think that's... It, it, it's, it's a big challenge for the promotion, but I almost feel like, man, what do you do? <laughs> what do you... you this is the thing that I think would be ideal. Obviously, if TJ Dillashaw was eligible to fight, that would be the fight I'd like to see Uriah Favor take. I would like to see him settle the rivalry once and for all against TJ Dillashaw. 
However, TJ Dillashaw is right now on an EPO suspension and to my count has, I don't know, 18 months left. So we got to wait till he's till he's 42 to make that happen unless there's going to be some wink-wink uh, appeal process. I don't know. From my standpoint, it is uh, it, it, it doesn't get more perfect than it does last night for Uriah Favor. I almost wish it was the end, but we know that it's not. So best guess, I think that he is going to end up jumping and, 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 and getting to skip everybody in line and fight Henry Cejudo. If I had to guess, uh, I don't think they're going to put him in there or something. Because who do you put him in there with? Like, what makes it? Do you do the Dominic Cruz fight again? You know, Dom hasn't been there in a while. Um, is that what they make happen? Just putting those two up against each other and, you know, seeing what's what. I mean, they fought each other three times already in their career, and Dom has the last two wins. So do you do Cruz favor four if you get Dom healthy and out of the booth? Suppose, but then it's like, well, what do you do? You now we have the, these two. It's almost like the senior circuit at that point. You have these two old guys going up against each other. Uh, it's a fun grudge match. I, I guess it'll do business relatively. It'll intrigue. It could uplift a pay-per-view for sure. Uh, but I don't know if it could main event get you pay-per-view buys. I just, I thought last night was as awesome as it gets for your ride paper. And I almost wish it was enough for him to ride off into the sunset. And I don't think it's going to be. I think there's going to be this this hope in him that there's going to be a sixth title shot down the line and, and he, can, he can get that elusive UFC belt that he's been waiting for and basically half of his fighting life since since the WEC was absorbed and went away. So that was the big story from last night. You had Jermaine Durand to me against Aspen Lyle. We'll get into a little bit on, on the other side because there was some controversy there, both before the fight and how the fight ended. And Josh Emmett got himself a huge knockout win. Um, that's kind of how, just how he wins now. He just wins with big bombs, which is crazy. It's a, It's been a big turnaround in his career where it's uh, you look at his last four fights, he's won by three bombs and he's lost by another that kept him out for a long time. But he is just an absolute sledgehammer in that in that right fist of his, and, and just an an absolute crazy flurry of finishes on that on that fight card last night. Three the three last fights all ending in the first round, but uh, some controversy with the main event. We'll get to that. We get to George Masvidal, who's doing the media rounds this week, was on the Levitard show and made it known who he wants his next opponent to be. Plus, we got to get into Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman. It is fight week. We're heading out to Vegas for it. We'll be back right after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. Welcome back, everybody. It is Fighters Fury here on The Ticket. You can text show 67974. It's brought to you by AccidentLawFirm.com. The texter writes in, it tells we're going to catch up on UFC 239. Uh, if you guys did miss it, if you guys are live listeners to the show, who we love, you know last week that um, we uh, we ran an episode with uh, my guy Peter Kahn, did a whole deep dive into boxing. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. But uh, poor timing by one of my best friends who had a wedding the same weekend as one of the biggest UFC cards of all time. So I wasn't back from the Keys live to do the show last week. Um you know, we always try and bring you an episode no matter what with really good content. But the podcast that we did post this week, if you guys aren't subscribers to the podcast, please do so. Subscribe. It is uh, You can subscribe on Apple, Google Play, or Radio.com. Look up Fighters Fury. Hit the subscribe button. You'll get a new episode every single week. Or if you miss this show uh, or you can't get up on a Sunday, 
it's all available for you there. And on that episode, I do like a whole half-hour breakdown of UFC 239. We do the whole reaction to everything. But there was a follow-up to this week on UFC 239, so we will get to that. Um, and that was Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal was doing a lot of media this week. And look, this was this was really big, man. You get on uh, you get on the Dan Levitard show these days. It's uh, it is one of the biggest sports radio shows in the country. You know, crazy enough that it started right here in this in the same little studio. We're still mooching off the same studio chairs that Dan Levitard bought for the studio that look like hell and and, and look haggard. And God love them. These these chairs that 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 man donated to the studio. They have made it all the way to the end, basically, because we're going to be in a new building very, very soon. But, uh, you know, not only seeing the success of that show, but now seeing one of Miami's own get to be on the show that is Miami was really, really cool this week. And Masvidal got to do a whole hour in studio with uh, with Dan Stugatz, which is really cool. First of all, think about that. This is a sh- uh, podcast. Uh, it's a show that gets a-, a ton of listeners, but it's also one of their biggest podcasts. So you're getting a ton of downloads for uh, a guy who's been in the game now, man, for 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 the better part of a decade and a half, and is 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 now finally getting some of the recognition that he deserves because of the way he won that fight, because of all the stuff that went around that fight. Really, his last two fights have been sensational knockouts. They've also surrounded with some extracurricular activity. One was uh, Leon Edwards, who we'll get to. He's fighting next week, chirping off at. Jorge Masvidal after his sensational win against Darren Till in Liverpool and Masvidal gave him the three-piece in the soda. Then you talk about the Askren-Masvidal fight where these two are going back and forth, have a really entertaining fight. It feels like that's all anybody's talking about is Masvidal versus Askren. This is on top of a card where you have John Jones, the greatest fighter of all time, Amanda Nunes, one of the greatest fighters of all time, both doing their thing and, and continuing their dominant reign. But third up from the card is getting all the buzz. And so seeing George get that kind of rub afterwards has been really, really cool. Here is a little clip of uh, what he had to say. Really uh, one of the important things, what's next? What does he want? Um, not surprising that he would go title shot, but also throw us a little curveball on something that he would like if the title shot does not come. Uh, who would be some of the people you might be interested in? Definitely the title, definitely Kamar Usman interests me. He's got the title, and that's what I want. But he's always having injuries, and things are happening, you know. Another guy that interests me because it's just a fight that if we made it, it's going to sell a lot. I'm going to get the money I deserve. And you can see you put me in there in a fight, and I'm going to fight. I'm going to give you what, what the fans want. I've never pulled out of a fight. Oh, you want McGregor. I want McGregor, man. I want to break his face. I think that's an easy paycheck. He's got these cash symbols written all over his face for me, and I just don't see it going his way at all, if I'm honest with you, you know? That would be an interesting fight because you're not going to do anything in the way of backing down, and he doesn't do any of that either, but everybody wants McGregor, right? Oh, he backs right? down. He taps. I've never tapped in my whole entire career. He's tapped a couple times, so that's that's backing down right there in my book. So that's something I've never done, and I, just, I feel like I'd break him. It'd be an easy fight. It'd just be more money, more fans. And then fight for the title or the title, you know, either one of them makes sense to me. Both of them make uh, make a whole lot of sense. I mean, obviously, look, we said this on the recap of our show. I, I outside of of Colby Covington turning into Dragon Ball Z and uh, obliterating Robbie Lawler with a laser beam, 
I don't really know what Colby can do to Robbie Lawler in a couple weeks to make him leapfrog George Masvidal. I really, I just, I don't. I don't know what he could do. Uh, it just feels like Masvidal's star is just riding too high right now, much like Colby's was a year ago. I mean, we we were on this show talking about Colby Covington and the kind of run that he was on and injuries and opportunity and things slipping away. And, you know, really it felt like the rivalry that entire time was wanting to see Colby Covington fight Tyron Woodley. Made too much sense. The heat was all too real. And we didn't get it. We didn't get it. You know, Tyron ended up fighting Darren Till and ended up losing his belt to Kamaru Usman. Usman and, and Colby have some of the same heat, but to me it's just not quite the same. You don't have this uh, this 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 outspoken guy going after the established champion. It doesn't have the same road to me. Kamaru just won the belt and in some ways is having his own star passed because of the injuries and not being out there. Masvidal has now kind of commented to the top as the uh, as the most known welterweight on the planet right now it just it is what it is that stuff changes man it really does it it, it turns it turns on a dime and so Masvidal calling for the Connor thing look everyone's gonna say obvious move yeah everybody calls out Connor McGregor and yes they do but everybody calls out Connor McGregor but not everybody has the legitimate claim to get the Connor McGregor fight because if we're really to look at it what are the fights that Connor could take if we're to look at the landscape of 155 pounds, the one that makes the most sense based on rankings is Tony Ferguson. But, you know, we could have had that Tony Ferguson fight signed, you know, a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Whenever Tony did what he did to Donald Cerrone, that fight could have been signed, signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, Tony also deserves to fight the winner of Khabib versus Dustin Poirier. So, quite frankly, if Tony's bigger goal is to fight for the belt, in some ways, and sports-wise, Connor's a step back. Obviously, people want the Connor fight because it brings great riches and brings notoriety, and it means a lot to beat that guy. He's the most famous fighter, mixed martial artist on the planet. But if we're going to talk about the rankings at 155, Tony deserves to go up. Connor's kind of in the hold of waiting. He, he lost a very dominant in a very dominant way, to Nurmagomedov. Um, you know, could he come back and fight? Could Connor fight the loser of Dustin versus Khabib? Both make a little bit of sense. Obviously, if Khabib is coming off a loss and Dustin becomes the undisputed champion, um, would make sense for Tony to go fight Dustin, and then Khabib is kind of looking for another matchup to get himself right. I could see that happening. Um could Connor fight Dustin again? 155 pounds. Those guys fought a lifetime ago at a different weight class. Connor got the best of them, so kind of a win that he would feel comfortable taking, I guess. Um, we could see that. But if Connor's looking for something in the meanwhile that's not at 155 pounds, or if George wants to cut again, even though I, I don't really see that, um, could we see him versus Connor McGregor? In a lot of ways. It has a lot of the makings of Conor versus Nate Diaz. Not in the fact that the first fight was done on a week's notice, basically, and had to be and had to be warp speeded, but George has a lot of the Diaz qualities that people love. The rawness, the anytime, anywhere, unfiltered, not showing up to some press conferences. Um, there's just a realness to him that I think a lot of people appreciate and 
I think is going would make for just an unbelievable fight promotion. And let's be honest, the way those two fight on the feet would be a really, really entertaining bout. Now, the one thing I'd say is George is a lot more well-rounded than Connor, so he could take that fight wherever he wants, but I don't think he's going to. I think if he fights that fight, it's going to be on the feet, uh, unless he gets him into a position to, to choke him out, in which case we know usually when you get a submission on Conor McGregor, it's probably going to be the end of Conor McGregor. It just, if I were to power rank it, it'd be like, it, it, it really, it would look at, these are the top three guys that make the most sense. It would be like Conor versus Diaz again, if he comes out of the win over Anthony Pettis. Conor versus Masvidal or Conor versus Khabib. I don't really know where else it kind of goes from there. I guess, again, if Dustin loses the Khabib fight, but because Conor has the win over him, I don't know if he goes that route. I just think that him versus Masvidal makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. I think it's an entertaining fight. I think it sells a lot of a lot of, a lot of pay-per-views. The one thing I will say, and, and George mentioned it there at the end, uh, I don't know if it has to be belt first or Conor first. I don't know how injured Kamaru Usman is. I think in the ideal world, it needs to be win the belt first. Because I think if you win the belt, getting Connor's easy. Because you have the appeal of, come on, big boy. Come and try and win yourself a belt in a third division. I think it's, it's, it's almost a makeup. It gets your own thing. If we're seeing very much like what's going on with Daniel Cormier, you win a belt in a new division, it's like a coat of new paint, man. People just forget about the other stuff. They don't think about the, the the John Jones stuff. Daniel Cormier just won SB's Fighter of the Year. So if Connor's able to go and win himself a welterweight title and have that opportunity, boom. Because look, let's be honest. On any in, in in any corner of the planet, could you see Conor McGregor voluntarily showing uh, signing up for a fight with Kamaru Usman? No shot in hell. I mean, fold him up like a like a like a like a like like a tent. It would be just it would it, it stylistically, uh, personality-wise. I just don't see it. I don't see him voluntarily show, signing up for that. But for Jorge Masvidal, welterweight champion, hundred percent, hundred percent. It makes all the sense in the world. So it was cool seeing that nugget get dropped on us yesterday, or not yesterday, uh, a few days ago on the Levitar show. Really, really cool. So. The one thing from yesterday that was interesting, there was a little bit of controversy in the main event with Jermaine Durandamy versus Aspen Ladd. We had a couple of things that went down with this fight. One, Aspen Ladd had a really gnarly weight cut. Really, really bad. She uh, she was up there, like, shivering up on the scales. Uh, they had the shower curtain thing to uh, make sure she could uh, weigh in with no clothes on. And... It was it was it was a rough sight. It was a rough sight. She ended up making it, and then we got to this this fight with Jermaine Durandamy, and she got knocked out in 14 seconds. And a couple things. One, was it stopped early? I would say yes. I think Herb's I, I think Herb screwed up there. I think that he saw the way she went down, thought it was going to end in a face plant. And jumped right in. It probably could have ended in a scramble. Could have let Aspen be in a position where she actually got to the ground and see if Jermaine was in position to follow up on her. But she, when the, the fight was stopped, she seemed to come to pretty quickly. Um, was more in the, like, what are you doing? 
type of mood. It doesn't mean that it wouldn't have gotten worse if he would have allowed Jermaine to get on top of her and do some damage. But I think, ultimately, he did stop it too quick. He did stop it too quick. Did the weight cut have anything to do with her getting dropped the way she did on one punch? She took one punch in the fight and went down like a sack of potatoes. It was a rough look. And the fact that she looked like the walking dead up on the scale can't imagine that she hydrated uh the best way didn't look fantastic in the cage as it was um so you know we've seen this we've seen this when 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 fighters have really bad weight cuts i.e tj dillashaw against henry cejudo first shot that he takes boom uh, out like a light so you know it's tough to see a lot of the weight cutting controversy came back you know a lot of people were getting made aware Weight cutting itself felt like it was very much the issue of 2018 in a weird way. Like, there were a lot of bad weight cuts missed. Uh, there were a lot of bad weight cuts on the scale, a lot of fights that were messed up. Uh, Dana White even said we were going to go back to the uh, the afternoon weight cuts. We were going to get rid of these early early morning weight cuts, even though they were supposed to help fighters getting more time to hydrate. Um, you know, it, it, it feels like that hasn't been as much of an issue this year with, with fighters missing weight that they've almost gotten to the routine of it a lot better because of all the trial and error that had to happen in the years past. But it was uh, it was tough to watch on the scale like that. It definitely was. It's never an easy thing to see what these fighters do and put themselves through to get into that cage. It's 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 a really rough reality that gets painted in front of everybody. Um, but ultimately, that is one of those things where it's like, there's two things. One, you wish there were more weight classes. I know that a lot of fighters have called for on the men's side of 165 range and then on the women's side it feels like it's shrinking even more like we should be at a time where we're getting more women's weight classes you know we have 145 all the way down to 115 and it feels like only two of the weight classes are even healthy as far as number of contenders and that really shouldn't be the case you know even though we have one woman reigning over two of them we should be at a point where the 145 division isn't just Amanda Nunes the champ and whenever she decides to fight Chris Cyborg. There should be more women being able to move up to 145, including somebody like Aspen Ladd or Jermaine Duranamy being able to go back where she was once champion but deciding to give it up because no thanks, I'm facing Cyborg. So I I think that has to be one of the things we need to get these these women's divisions a little bit more established um, so Aspen Ladd doesn't feel like the only option is to go fight there because in all honesty, look, they both have fought at 145, and it wouldn't be bad having two people of their caliber being in another division so we can establish that division. Otherwise, it's just going to fold up and, and go away. I don't know. But it was, uh, it was a rough watch. It definitely was this week. When we come back, we'll get into a little bit of what is coming up this week. We, uh, we have Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman getting ready to take on one another. Also, big little update with uh, as far as Canelo Alvarez and his next opponent, one of them has seemingly fallen out. We'll give you that story next. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. Welcome back, everybody. It is Fighters Fury. Tobin here with you. No Seaman, no Tommy Guns this week. We'll be uh, doing our first Fighters Fury from the new studio in a couple weeks. Next week, we'll be bringing you the show from Las Vegas as we will be covering Keith Thurman versus Manny Pacquiao. Before we get into that, I uh, just want to make one more note on the Masvidal front. Um, I thought this was cool. He put out a little 
post to the American Airlines Arena about selling out his uh, upcoming title shot. And I got to say, man, this guy's been doing this now for 16 years. And you guys are saying, oh, enough of the Mosfidel stuff. No, man, I won't be doing enough of the Mosfidel stuff. This guy this guy is, is our own fighter from down here representing 305. We need to get behind this. We got a lot of great fighters that train down here. And this was the talk when we were getting to the BB&T Center that we need to get shown to respect as a mixed martial arts and combat community because of all the great fighters that do train down here, all the great guys on the regional scene that train down here that get fed to the big organizations and all that stuff, um, that this needs to be shown as a place that supports and loves combat sports. And I got to say, if you don't think it's the most obvious thing in the world to have Masvidal have a title fight at American Airlines Arena, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I would dare to say you don't know about promoting fights. And that may sound ridiculous, talking to the UFC, who's been the best at promoting mixed martial arts, but every single fighter, basically in the history of time, that any promotion thinks is worth anything as far as a contender and has a future in the organization and is going to draw dollars. Every single one of them, the most, the most obvious move all the time is to have that person fight in their hometown, either if it's a number one contendership or a title fight or a defensive title. If you don't have Masvidal fight in Miami, what are you doing? Every single one of these people, you've gone to the corners of the, some dude from Iowa fights in the UFC. He gets to fight in the Iowa Dome. I don't even know if that's a thing, but I know what's happened. George, Masf- uh, George St. Pierre fights in Canada. You've had plenty of fights where Brazilians fight in Brazil. It, it's the most obvious thing in the world. How many guys, you know, Ronda Rousey getting to fight in L.A. All of these moves. Uriah Faber fighting last night in Sacramento. It's so obvious. Weidman fighting at Madison Square Garden. You've done the move time after time after time of having great UFC fighters getting to fight in their hometown. It's it's not even like I'm saying anything outrageous here. I'm not going out on a limb. Let him fight at the American Airlines Arena. You're welcome, UFC. I I will I will I allow you access to the money printing machine as it will just swarm out with $100 bills. I'm not even I'm not I'm not doing rocket science here. Of course you have the most buzzworthy fighter you have right now. Have his next fight fight in Miami. What are we talking about here? If you have it anywhere else, you're dumb. I mean, it's 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 plain and simple. Masvidal, next fight in Miami. American Airlines Arena, book it up. Book it up. And get it done before this damn playoff schedule uh, screws it up like it did for the last one. You got your schedule established here. Book yourself a venue. Title fight. It, it, it's so clear. Every single fighter that does anything worth a damn McGregor on his rise. He got to fight in the Irish arena, whatever the hell that thing was called. It seats like four people. Really, it does. If a fighter looks like they're making a jump, Bob Arum, he's 100 years old. Even he knows. What does he have last night? Shakur Stevenson. He's on the rise. What do you have him do? Fight in New Jersey. Have him fight in Newark. Why? Because he's from New Jersey. You, 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 You do it left and right, and you quite frankly do it as much as you can. When Deontay Wilder couldn't get himself 
a, a, a regular establishment in either Brooklyn or L.A., where do they have him fight all the time? UAB in Alabama. Want to know why? Because he's an establishment there. And if you're not going to have the guy be known mainstream, you have to make him feel well-known and mainstream. You have to have him have the crowd pop for him, have that love from there. It's obvious. I see it at the at the Hard Rock every single time. Why do you think they have Ulysses Diaz fight there? Because he packs the building. Because people want to go watch him fight. Why do you think people want Harold Calderon down here in Miami fighting on their cards? Because he packs the building and he brings a lot of people. It's obvious. It's fight promotion 101. Who brings eyeballs? Who sells tickets? If they could do it all the way down to the, the, the regional level, why wouldn't the UFC grab onto this rocket ship and park it right at Mickey Harrison's house and say, hey, we can, can we have a UFC fight here? Just just do it. It doesn't even feel like it's worthy of any more debate. It's it's the obvious move. Masvidal, title fight, American Airlines Arena. Book it. Let's do it. Enough already. Tired of this. Now, this week, we got a big one coming up in Las Vegas. Manny Pacquiao is going to be fighting Keith Thurman. They are going to be going up for the WBA super welterweight title. So super. I can never keep up with these belts anymore. Regular, super, franchise. Who knows what the hell anything is anymore. It's for a piece of the welterweight championship. It's a big one. And we talked a little bit about this last week with Peter Kahn and establishing kind of that hierarchy at welterweight with Errol Spence, who had himself a real great performance. Oh, want to know where Errol Spence fought his last fight? In Dallas, where he's from, at at AT&T Center or, or AT&T Stadium. Want to know why? Sells tickets. It's, cra- it's pff, crazy. I know. Um, what? You, and, and his big rival, uh, Terrence Crawford. Want to know where he fought his last fight? Nebraska, where he's from. I mean, it's not. It's not like I'm going out on a limb here. Either way, um, these guys are fighting. This is a big fight for a couple of reasons. One, you have Manny Pacquiao in it. He's one of the biggest stars in boxing history. One of the most bona fide pay-per-view draws in boxing history. And he's fighting Keith Thurman who at one time was regarded as the top welterweight on the planet and, of course, had himself a couple of bad arm injuries, which put him on the shelf for a good two years. It's a fascinating fight for me for a couple of reasons. One, uh, Manny Pacquiao looked pretty fantastic in his last fight, uh, his last couple of fights against Lucas Matisse and Adrian Broner, and I think that Manny Pacquiao is fighting with a little bit of rejuvenation. There's not as much pressure fighting on him. Thankfully, that uh, Al Heyman's taking care of that tax bill. It seems like he's able to kind of just move on and see if he can uh, have all the the love of the people. He's one of the most beloved fighters on the planet. And this fight, for me, it goes a couple of ways, all right? Manny Pacquiao almost gets too careless and runs into one from Keith Thurman, or he dices him up and pieces him up over over the course of 12 rounds to the point where, you know, it's so lopsided that it either gets stopped or Manny's going to get his hand raised. I don't know if I, I – I can't say that I see Keith Thurman winning a decision against Manny Pacquiao. I can't see Keith Thurman outworking Pacquiao. The The only way – this is how Pacquiao has lost decisions in the past, most notably to Jeff Horn and Tim Bradley. And I know that the, the Horn one is, I guess, a little bit more controversial because some people think that, it, uh, that Manny just looked bad from the start and didn't look like himself. But mind you – that ninth round the fight was almost stopped and it's quite crazy that he wasn't that it wasn't stopped um but for manny 
the one thing you always got to worry about with him is on this back end of his career where he found the Lord and all of that stuff. Sometimes when he has a guy hurt and beat so much, it's like he hits that cruise control faster than anybody in the sport. And it's just like, all right, let's just kind of move on. Doesn't want to hurt the guy. Just hopes that he could take his win and go home. But that has cost him, most notably against Bradley and most notably against Horn. Um, Keith Thurman, this is the big thing with him. I would say about the time that he won his championship and became the WBA champion, hasn't been one time. Hasn't been that guy who goes in there and just starches people and 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 hurts them. And I really do believe that you need a vintage Keith Thurman to beat Manny Pacquiao this week. And that's crazy to think about because you have a 40-year-old fighter taking on a guy in Keith Thurman who's 30. And that's so that's wild. What was vintage Keith Thurman? I'm talking about the guy that earned the nickname one time. The guy who goes in there and really, really makes people think twice about coming in. You want to beat Manny Pacquiao, you have to have him respect that punch really early on and that's tough to say about a guy in Keith Thurman who one hasn't been finishing guys at the rate that he has and two is coming off some some pretty hard injuries in that arm that he really is and that last fight against Jose Zito Lopez where he said he was fighting at an LA he was training at an LA fitness to get ready for that fight it sure looked like it so we we're at this point right now where all right, does 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 youth win or just the better fighter wins? Because I think over their careers, we could say that Manny Pacquiao is definitely the more established, better fighter. I think he has more things in his toolbox to go out there and beat Keith Thurman. Um, from Keith's standpoint, he's got youth, so you would hope that that would last more over a fight. Um, but I'm telling you, one of the things that's just been very weird watching him is just noticing how the output's not what it was, noticing that he's not looking to put guys away the way he was. You know, this is a guy, remember having him in studio years ago when he just won the belt and was talking about fan-pleasing, always looking for damage. That's why I'm Keith one-time Thurman. That's why, you know, the people pay to see me. And ever since becoming champion, hasn't been that same guy. And, yes, the competition does step up and the competition does get harder but it's almost in the style of the guy, the way the guy goes out there and fights. He's almost content resting back on his talents and seeing if he can outpoint people. And I don't know if that same guy is in there or if he can find it. Maybe Manny Pacquiao does. Look, Keith has come out and said he's going to win this, uh, this fight inside of six rounds. I mean, if he does, I think that Manny's running into a, a big mistake. But maybe we see a guy who, is, who has been able to retool himself and is actually feeling healthy off of surgery. Because if you, if you were to put this on paper, you know, 40-year-old, long-time, long-in-the-tooth Manny Pacquiao against former undisputed welterweight champion, 30 years old, prime of his career, you know, had an arm injury but still has a, a 10-year age gap on the youth side for him, I think a lot of people would go with the young buck. But... Look, you're talking about an all-timer here. I mean, there's there's been one person, uh, I think, over there, over this era, there's been one person that has shown to make Manny Pacquiao really look mortal. It's Floyd Mayweather Jr. So you're talking about the best fighter of the last 15 years. Other than that, what are we talking about here? Eight-division champion, finishing guys way bigger than him. You know, sellouts nonstop, big star, 
always, always, always in a fight. You know, people talk about this lack of power, that he's not the same guy power-wise, and, you know, they chalk that up from everything from age to performance-enhancing drug use and all that stuff. You can say what you want about that. Maybe he doesn't finish it and knock guys dead. Never really been a guy who's done that. I mean, Ricky Hatton, other than that, you think about a lot of guys that Pacquiao has just dropped dead with one shot. Not really been his case, but does he butcher people's faces up? And always seems to find a way to put somebody on the canvas. Always. Always has that sneaky left hand that nobody sees coming from that 5-5 body of his. Bop! Right down the middle, and somebody lands on their seat. And, and, and the problem with that is now you're behind on the scorecards. You're behind the scorecards on the more popular guy, the guy that's going to have the crowd reacting to everything he does. Mind you, you're going to go to Las Vegas here, and every time Manny Pacquiao has a flurry, whether it's clean or not, he gets the reaction of the people. And what does that do? That influences judges. It's a lot of times why people think judges should be inside another booth. It, they think that, oh, man, that must have landed, and it not, doesn't necessarily do that because you got to remember, these judges are on different sides of the ring. They're seeing different things. Sometimes they don't have a good view of stuff. So that's another thing to take into account when you're looking at this bout. Ultimately, I think Manny Pacquiao is going to get his hand raised. I don't think that he's going to stop Keith Thurman, but I think he's going to win this fight. Um, I think things have to just go a little bit too perfect for for Keith to land a sweet one. And if he does, I would see it very similar to when he lost to Marquez. And Manny just got a little bit too cute and dove right into one. And if that's the case, that's certainly a way that Keith can go win and he could get some of that old power that we've seen from him. Um, You know, the last time Keith stopped a guy, he stopped Luis Colazo in 2015, before that, 2014. I mean, you know, we're talking years here, man. A lot of, not a lot of fights, but a lot of years, a lot of days between stopping people for the guy who was known for that when he was on the rise and was getting all the buzz behind him. So I'm going to go with the eight-division champion with Manny Pacquiao. I say that with all bias because I'm a huge fan of Manny Pacquiao and have been for a very, very long time. Um... But also, I just don't see a lot of roots for Keith. I really don't. If we were to say, okay, Keith Thurman's going to win a decision over Manny, how is that going to happen? Did he knock down Manny? Did he hurt Manny? Did he, did he, did, did he establish right away that he was the more dominant guy, the, the, the bigger enforcer, and that made Manny Pacquiao afraid to come in? I mean, how many times have we seen that in Manny Pacquiao's career where he was afraid to go attack? He had one arm against Floyd Mayweather, and he was still trying to go and attack Floyd Mayweather. Missing a lot. He was whiffing a lot, but he just doesn't stop coming forward. Just not his style. When do we ever see him on his bike? Never. Never. So you got two guys who, who, like, to, who like to clash, who are offensive guys, go in there and go toe-to-toe. You know, I just – you're going to tell me that, 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 uh, that, that Keith's going to open up and, and, and pick and pop and go in, in there all of a sudden? I don't know, man. I, and especially – look, maybe he's just laying uh, – maybe he's just saying things and maybe he's just – laying the groundwork for, you know, tricking Manny Pacquiao. But, you know, if you're saying you're going to go knock somebody out in six rounds or inside of six rounds, I feel like you're going to try and come forward in a fight. And if that's the case, I just don't know if that's a good recipe for success against Manny Pacquiao. I don't. So I'm going to go with Manny Pacquiao. I think he gets a decision win. Uh, I think at one point he'll put Keith on the canvas, put him on his butt, be like, whoa, what was that? And that's normally how a lot of these things go. Uh, People are surprised. They end up getting sneak attacked, and that's normally why he wins a lot of the majority of his fights. He's really good at this, really good at this, and there's no shame. It's going to be kind of crazy to see how this mixes up the welterweight division and how things fall out from here. 
because does that end with Manny taking on Errol Spence? Errol Spence, that's a different story from Keith Thurman. With uh, with the kind of range that he has, with his with his patience, with all that stuff. Uh, Terrence Crawford, same deal. I think that I, I do feel like Keith is about the top welterweight in that young class that Manny's going to beat. And that's crazy because years ago, we didn't even think about Errol and Terrence. They were kind of on the come up, and Keith was the guy on top. But that's the way I, that's 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 where things stand right now. That's why things flipped on the dime. That's why when time passes, um, your opinions change of these things, and you have to rethink things. And guys do things that impress you or things that you didn't think about. So, everybody enjoy the fights this week. We'll have a lot of coverage for you for Manny Pacquiao versus Keith Thurman this week if you're listening to our show. So keep it tuned to that. Everybody have a great rest of your Sunday. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.